Hi, beautiful listeners. Welcome to the Teacher Healer podcast, where we get to geek out on all things education and heal the world at the same time. Megan Corcoran spent over 11 years teaching and leading in alternative schools for young people who have experienced trauma and or significant disadvantage. During that time, she worked as a school leader in Australia's largest alternative school. She studied a master's in applied positive psychology, and her teaching practice is trauma-informed and grounded in well-being science. Megan is also an experienced workshop facilitator, coach and consultant, and co-founder of Teachers Well that provides well-being communities for teachers and aims to generate teacher-led well-being initiatives in schools. Listen to us discuss the importance of slow teaching and building deep connections with colleagues. We'll also brainstorm potential solutions to some of the biggest challenges facing the profession post-pandemic. Megan, welcome to the Teacher Healer podcast. It's great to have you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, no worries. Um, so I brought you on today because um, I'm really trying to work out what's going on with the great resignation. We've got a lot of teachers dropping like flies out of the system and you're one of those people who've decided to make a bit of a shift in your life. So I guess I'm um, just wanting to find out a little bit more about what's brought that on and where you're at. Yeah, no problem at all. Um, look, to be honest, I'm leaving so that I can actually hopefully help the system a little bit more. So um, I think for a lot of teachers, they're doing full career change, whereas I'm really hoping to stay in the education system um, and make a bigger impact. So for me, I'm actually working as a leader at the moment. I've got a few weeks left, um, but I feel like as a leader, I haven't been able to do my best work and I'm looking at our teachers and they're, they're not able to do their best work at the moment for our young people. Um, so I'm feeling really conflicted to stay and be a band-aid in the system as opposed to really being on the outside and trying to influence the system externally. Okay, interesting. So what do you have in mind? What's your plan for influencing the system from the outside? Um, yes, I guess I've always, um, in my teaching and leading, I've always had a huge well-being lens on the work that I do. So um, I studied um, a Master's of Applied Positive Psychology um, and it really influences the way I work a lot. Um, so I'm actually going to be working in more as a consultant for schools, um, looking at culture audits, um, running wellbeing workshops. And then I also have a project that I'm doing with a couple of friends slash colleagues um, called Teachers Well. Um, and we're creating sort of a uh, community for teachers who really do want to influence wellbeing in their school. And we're supporting them to come and have a wellbeing experience with us, but also leave with skills and practices that they can then apply in their school um, to hopefully better support those that they're working closely with. That sounds really awesome. Um, wellbeing's like been one of those things that's been popping up everywhere on Twitter and LinkedIn, you know, when I've been talking to different teachers. And like, what do you think is going on there with the wellbeing for teachers in the classroom at the moment? It's a really interesting time because um, I absolutely have always loved being a teacher. I thought it was the best job in the world. Um, mm -hmm. I was very reluctant when I left to go into leadership. So for me, it was very much a values call um, yeah, so I was like loving my teaching job, but I also knew I could probably do more in a leadership role. So I took a lot, like it was a very conflicted time for me to move into leadership. Um, and now once again, the same thing, like I love leadership in a school, but I'm feeling conflicted and I feel like I can do more. So I'm getting out. Um, but yeah, it's a really interesting time because the feelings that I had about loving teaching, it's really hard to find them right now. Um, it's just such a challenging time with teacher shortages 
Um, that seems to be the main focus every single day. Like we start the day looking at the absent list and figuring out how we can cover it. Um, no one can really do their best work right now because we're all in survival mode. And I think for a lot of teachers, especially in Melbourne, after such lengthy lockdowns, they've had an experience of realising we can work differently and we can have more autonomy mm. and we can be a little bit slower in the way we work. Um, and now they've just been thrown back into like such fast paced environment where um, the demands are really high and they're higher than ever because there's not enough people to do the work. Um, so, yeah, people are really struggling in schools at the moment. It's a really tricky time. Yeah, so you're talking about mass absences. Like, what what do you think is driving that? Is it is it that fast paced environment that you're not used to? Is it because of COVID illness? Is there something else behind that? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I like a lot of people would assume it's COVID absences, and now the flu season's starting. Um, but I actually got to do some work with a school around what was going on for them with their absences, um, and we got to survey the staff anonymously and find out what was happening. Um, mm-hmm. And surprisingly. Number one reason was mental health. We didn't really define that. So that could be like taking a mental health day, you know, like a self-care day or whatever it might be. But that was the number one reason people were taking sick leave. Number two was workload pressure. And then number three was COVID. So it was really um, sort of striking to see that data with this school that we did some work with. Interesting. And like, are there schools sort of doing programs to help with mental health in the school? Or like, what do you think's being done at the moment? They probably are, but at the same time, we're in that really tricky spot where um, people don't have enough time to release someone to even go to training, let alone like taking time as a team to do something all collectively together. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'd like to think that they are and that there's some priority there, but it is really that situation where we're all um, doing more work than we usually would in covering multiple roles. Um, So taking the time to actually really directly focus on wellbeing seems to be put to the side a little bit at the moment for most schools. Okay, so so that's something that you're wanting to move into externally then. So how are you approaching this if if there's a lack of time in the classroom and like what's your plan? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, so that's why I'm pretty passionate about what we offer with Teach as well. At the moment, Teach as well is an after hours program, which in itself is obviously a challenge because I don't want people to think that they can only look after their well-being external to their school hours. Mm, <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> but the reason it is an after hours offering at the moment is um, for that very reason. It's just to know that we can offer a well-being experience. And we're really hopeful that people recognize that they actually feel better once they've, they've come to teach as well. Um, at the end of each session, we often feel energized and connected and well supported. And like we've got some strategies to face the challenges. Um, so yeah, we're, we're running it as a sort of an offering after hours. Um, and then we coach the people to then go and apply this in their school, because what we're realizing is people at the moment aren't that likely to book a whole day workshop with an external person, um, to close their school and do that, or to send staff to go have training. Um, and what we noticed as well is that that school that we looked at that data for, we actually also wanted to find out for them, what were the most protective factors for them? So what were they actually finding supportive in their school? Um, and sh- and the number one thing that they found the most supportive was actually colleague support. So it wasn't any of these external providers. It wasn't um, counselling. It wasn't any of that sort of stuff. It was literally the culture of the um, care that their colleagues provided them. And number two was leadership support. And there was actually quite a big gap between colleague support and leadership support in second place. Um, so to me as well, that data really informed what we're doing with teachers as well to recognise that um, people need to be connected with their colleagues in a school and to be able to support each other's wellbeing in this current situation yeah it's it's so interesting isn't it because like I found that as well like, like in my teaching you, your colleagues become your family and um, but not having I guess that time and structure inside the school day 
to be able to take that time is uh, it's a real challenge, isn't it? Because um, you you've got these like set hours you have to be in front of a class. And I know in primary schools it's way worse. I couldn't even believe it. I was a secondary teacher and we would work 15 out of 20 hours in front of the class, whereas the primary teachers only got something like an hour and a half off a week. And I was like, what is going on here? How do you even get to talk to each other and do your planning, um, yep. let alone marking and everything else that goes into it? Yeah, absolutely. But I think yeah. it can also be about just injecting small rituals and small moments of connection in the day um, can even just make a huge difference as well. And so that's something that we're exploring a little bit is just how to make sure it happens every day. But even if it's just a very small opportunity, like a, a small window of opportunity, but just taking it and making sure we use it. Are there any techniques or things that you're going to be teaching teachers that you're willing to share with us? Um, yeah, so with teachers, well, we really um, look at using coaching as, a way to actually support people to sort of unpack the challenges that we're all facing at the moment. Um, so we do a bit of a, like we really keep the group quite small so we can create a lot of safety, really do a lot of container building with the group so that we know that we're all holding it um, safely and carefully together. Um, and then we allow people to do case giving where they can actually um, talk through a wellbeing challenge they're facing in the school. And then the rest of the um, group will act as coaches um, we're doing a lot of journaling. We're doing a lot of, um, yeah, slowing down to problem solve, a lot of mindfulness. Um, yeah, so there are just a few of the examples, I guess, of what we do with teach as well. Awesome. Do you have like a case study that you'd be able to share of like an experience a teacher's had where they've found it great or um, have experienced some some change or growth for themselves? Um, yeah. It's, it's really interesting because I find even just being a coach and not necessarily the case giver is actually very impactful as well um, mm-hmm. in those moments as well. So I can learn from the people that give their case <laughs> and um, it can influence my work as well. Um, but, yeah, we did have someone share um, share some experiences of just even losing that connection with their team and how meetings were being cancelled to support their well-being. So it was like, you know, you guys are all time poor, so let's cancel all, all of our meetings. Um, but then they were feeling really isolated in their school because they weren't seeing their colleagues. Um, they weren't having a moment to talk to their leaders and ask questions because they would then have to go find them within the school because they weren't seeing them in the meeting. Um, so we really sort of unpacked how like you shouldn't really, um, it depends on the in, like the intention behind a meeting really. Like it, sure, scrap the informative meeting that, um, you know, if there's nothing to share and it was just like sort of ticking a box that you had to have a meeting. But maybe there needs to be meetings where there is ritual of connection happening. Um, yeah, so that was actually a really fascinating case. And the person who gave that case ended up writing a whole blog post about it and became an article that like, yeah, I saw quite frequently on different platforms. And it was just really nice to see. And then we heard back that that school actually then started looking at ways that they could still connect um, and still just take five or 10 minutes to come together as a team. It just didn't have to be that one hour long meeting. That, like they thought they were doing the right thing by cancelling meetings and giving people their time back. Uh, but what they were doing was creating kind of a silo system in their school where, where people didn't feel like a team anymore. Yeah, I get that. Um, I'm really lucky. I, I work in an organisation that's small. We've got about 15 staff members, but connection is something we're really focusing on at the moment and especially because we've all been working from home and it's made such a massive difference. Like I feel like that's the place I now feel most connected to in my life, um, even compared to my family and my friends because like there's such an effort and a time put into it. But it's so hard to do in a school and you know, it's so interesting, Megan, because um, I've I've done probably 11 of these interviews before talking to you and every single person I'm talking to is talking about connection as being mm. a solution to everything we're going through. And I'm, 
it's not what I expected when I started out. Like, I don't know how many of the listeners know this, but when I started this podcast, my initial intention was to write a book, not do a podcast at all. But I, I couldn't write anything but negative things. And I didn't know what the solutions were. I had ideas about what they could be and what the system should look like. But um, connection wasn't on the list. I didn't, I didn't expect that to be the number one sort of thing that was coming out of the interviews. And it seems to be the, thing, the, the core theme. Mm, if people really just want to yeah. be in relationship with each other. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. So I wonder if it would have been a different answer if lockdowns hadn't happened. <laughs> well, yeah. And I wonder, yeah, a lot of things would have maybe been different. Of course. Yeah. Maybe it's timing. So I've got to get, keep this going for a little bit longer and see if that changes. But um, when we talked um, in our little pre-interview, you mentioned you had a little compass that you were using to help guide your work with the teachers. Um, can I share a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So um, Teachers Well was actually born during lockdown. <laughs> um, so that was actually a, um, a time where I was actually just, you know, talking to other people in the industry about what was going on for us and um, how I was concerned for teachers in the, in the field at the time. And Teachers Well really came about when we were going in and out of lockdowns. So we were noticing that that was just such a hard time for teachers um, and I was actually really concerned for them each time schools reopened because the pace was just so fast. Um, and I noticed a lot of schools did really intentional work to look after their staff wellbeing during lockdown, but then couldn't really apply the same thing, like when the fast paced work is happening in a school. Um, so, yeah, we were kind of navigating this um, conversation, just not sure how we could respond, but, um, yeah, just really playing around with it. And as we were discussing one day, we just started scribbling ideas down and we actually like scribed it all and drew some pictures and what really came out of that was we actually did map out a compass. <laughs> um, and so the compass essentially has um, four, four points and they're our values that really guide how we work with teachers well. Um, so our true north is purpose, which we think every teacher ultimately comes to the field with a sense of purpose. It's very meaningful work. Um, but right now, it's really hard to see that purpose at times. Maybe there's a bit of fog clouding it. Um, you know, maybe the workload is just so huge that that purpose doesn't feel like they're really connected to it right now. Um, so what we discovered was it's it's not so much about spending time just at that true north, but the other compass points are really important and we need to actually spend time at each of those as well. Um, so the other three is curiosity, compassion and courage. Yeah, so interesting. Yeah, compassion, like that's that connection thing as well, isn't it? And courage, gosh, you know, that's like, that, that's great Brene Brown stuff there too because you can't think, brave without vulnerability and I think teachers are just super vulnerable right now and students Absolutely. are so vulnerable I was actually talking to my nephew the other day and he's just turned 16 and um he's like all my favorite teachers have left mm -hmm. and I just don't see like you know he's he's really into music and he feels like the music department for him has just fallen to pieces and it's not what it was and that was the only thing really keeping him engaged in school so I can just see like that's really sad for him um yeah but that vulnerability piece like it's it's huge and then what, what was it curiosity yeah that's yeah. so funny isn't it because I think like being curious as a teacher it's not just about being curious about the content you're teaching but it's being curious about the people you're working with and and yourself and how you're growing and learning and what challenges you're facing so yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like we sort of that one sort of came about too, that we were like, we need to be curious as to what's going on. Like we can see all these issues, but if we go get a little bit more curious about them, we can dive a little bit deeper, we can really unpack them. 
Um, and then if we hold a bit of compassion for ourselves and the others we're working with and our young people, we can maybe have the courage to face them and, and change them a little bit or influence the system a little bit more. So that's sort of how the compass sort of came about. Yeah, I like that because it's not just making assumptions that you know what's happening for people either. Like that yeah. study that you did in that school, like that's actually really enlightening because it would have been very easy to assume that people were burnt out or that they had COVID or whatever else. Absolutely. But yeah, interesting. So sort of more long-term, like I think, like what, it, what ripples are you hoping that this project is going to send out into the world? I actually really like the um, fact that you use the word ripples. <laughs> um, as teachers, well, we always play on words and we're always talking about the well, like it's actually a sense that you can drink from the well and there's a lot of imagery that and metaphors that we often use. So, um, yeah, so we, we use the word ripple a little bit when we're talking about our project. Um, but, yeah, I guess essentially teachers, well, really began as like let's hold some space for some people that are finding things hard. That's essentially what it started out as. It was like let's see if there's any other teachers feeling the way we are. Um, and we can offer this where we just come together and we hold that space and we see what we can do. But it's evolved over time to recognise that people were getting a lot out of the experience um, and that it would be a really great thing to be applying with teams in schools. But as we'd found out, like colleague support was way more important than these external providers coming in or having a one-day workshop on resilience or anything like that. Um, so we're really, really hopeful that we can work with some pretty small cohorts to have that experience together but then to, that they have the confidence to then go and apply different strategies and processes in their school to support their their teams and their colleagues as well to really stay in the work, um, to be a united front and to support each other as they move forward. Um, so, yeah, we're actually running it now as a longer program. So it used to sort of just be a community circle where people could sign up um, and drop in and then, you know, we might not see them again. But now we actually have cohorts for a whole term. So we come together once a week. Um, and we go through different skills and processes that they can use. And we do one-on-one -on -one coaching with them um, with the aim that they will then go and apply this in their school. That's really nice. If you if you had, like, out of all those tips and processes, if there was one that you could share just for our listeners, if they're really struggling right now, um, what would you recommend? What would be the starting point for them? Yeah, that's a really, really tricky question, but I think it's about seeing through the, the mess. <laughs> so finding a way to slow down, because I think at the moment teachers are working so fast um, and just finding a way to pause and really cut through the noise um, and just really looking at the problem. Like, because at the moment it feels like a mountain, like it absolutely feels like a mountainous problem. Um, yeah. And I think it's just about slowing down and actually really just recognising what they can do, like, like taking it as really small steps of, well, actually, I can do this thing right now. I can solve this problem right now. The rest are too big, but let's just chip away at the really, really small ones for now. Um, and I think having a trusted colleague or a mentor or somebody that you just feel really safe to talk to that's in the industry um, is re just really important. Just act actually feeling heard right now is, is really important to move forward. Yeah. Yeah. And guys, if you feel like you're alone in your school, like I've definitely been in schools where I just did not fit in. It was a small school and they were much older than me, um, you know, Social media is there, guys. Like, reach out, reach out to to me. You can contact Teach Healer Podcast, and you know we'll we'll connect. But um, yeah, like I, I'm so interested in uh, the thought has slipped out of my head. But you were you were talking about um, yeah, I've forgotten. But that's all right. This happens. <laughs> we're all human. We all make mistakes. Seeing through the mess. Seeing through the mess. Um, it actually reminds me, you know, of um that um you know, the little grid that, that they say put your important and your urgent items in it and then cross out one of them, isn't it? Like 
urgent and important needs to happen now, but the unimportant and non-urgent stuff, just don't do it. Like you can yeah. delegate it or just don't, <laughs> don't do that thing. And I think that um, it's funny because a lot of teachers have been talking about administrative loads and things like that. And, and actually I found as a teacher, that's the sort of stuff that gets you into trouble, isn't it? Because you want to go on excursions with kids, but then you're like, oh no, I have to get permission forms and I have to fill in a risk assessment and that's too hard. And so you just don't do it, but that's the stuff you really want to do. So it's a dilemma, um, but if it's important, you know that got that's got to go on the important list, I think. But I, I am a big fan of just not doing things if you don't have to, you know. And I'm the first person to admit, even to you know my old CEO, he he would send us a lot of emails that looked urgent. He'd be like, "I need this today, and I need you to stress about this thing and what's going on." And I found that if I ignored that for 24 hours, that problem would go away every single time. And if it was important, he would remind me again in a week you know <laughs> and yeah. and I was I said to his face this is what I do and he would sort of laugh about it and he didn't mind that but what it meant is like I could stress about this for an hour right now or I can just keep doing what I'm doing and worry about it if it comes back up and I think I think that reactive thing that we all have when we're at work and and for teaching it's particularly potent because you've got students in front of you reacting all the time and giving you stimulus and creating like little goodness knows what fires um and you know something I learned in my master's degree this sounds so off topic but I remember us learning about the Chinese education system and we watched a video of a preschool in China and it was just so different to my understanding of what early learning was because I'm I was used to something that was quite disciplined or they'd watch over you and yeah you'd go and you'd play and you'd do the things and you'd have your relationships but if the kids in these Chinese school were getting into a fight and one of the kids hit the other, the adults wouldn't intervene. And they'd let the kids build the skills to like battle it out amongst themselves and set their own boundaries and go, hey, you shouldn't be hitting me. And and they'd have a conversation and then eventually they'd resolve it on their own. And I was like, how much teacher time would that save actually? <laughs> like how much time have I spent with year eight kids being like, why are you arguing in this group project right now? You know, you guys need to learn to work as a team. Actually, if you leave them to sort it out sometimes, not always, but sometimes it'll resolve itself, you know. So yeah. bit of a random story there, but I think I think there's a lesson there that's slow. Yeah. And and trusting maybe, do you reckon? Yeah. No, it's a good point because I think um teachers are so desperate to look after their young people. Like they really want to do the best for their young people. And so we're always working so fast because that's what we're trying to do. Like that's always core like the front and center of what what teachers are doing so it's a really good example really of just um you know just slow down a little bit and young people are just grateful that you're there you're teaching them and just let them work it out a little bit themselves too yeah um so let me ask you this question um what is your wish for education yeah really good question <laughs> um look to be honest I really hope that the system learns to slow down so I think at the moment um no one like the teachers are not to blame the school leaders are not to blame everyone's in survival mode right now and it's actually the system and the conditions of work and all of that that needs to be looked at so until that happens I just can't see um that you know things are going to shift too quickly in schools so I really hope that things can just slow down a little bit and the conditions can change a little bit um, for those that have worked in a school, they know like even taking a toilet break is really tricky. <laughs> um, yeah. Even having a moment to eat your food can be really tricky in the day. Like it's just things like that that we've always normalised in in schools. And I think um, we're at a point now, you know, where it's really challenging work 
it's really fast paced. And if you can't even take a break to go to the bathroom, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's we're asking a lot of people that work in a school right now. So I think, yeah, just I want the system to slow down because I think that's going to be more nurturing for our young people too. Like we're not modeling the best work conditions for them either, <laughs> the way teachers are working. Um, mm. So I'd like to see, yeah, things just slow down and allow a bit more space in schools. Because even for our young people, they they need space, they need time, they need to slow down to be creative and to think and to problem solve. Yet we don't sort of give the same thing to the adults working in the school. That's so true. And like deep work comes from that, isn't it? It's otherwise you're just skating the surface. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Do you have any ideas of what could change to allow for that? Um, well, it's a really tricky one because I know we're in a teacher shortage. So um, at yeah. the moment, it's sort of like the dream would be that everyone comes in and they know what their day is going to look like and they know where their free time might be or they can create that free time. Um, they can create spacious time with their students as well to be like, you know, this is when we're doing circle time, but then we'll have some quiet time where you can peel off and work on something creative. And um, But at the moment, I think because people are covering so many classes or they're combining classes or you're covering each other's duties, um, it's not happening right now, but that essentially that's what I would like to see is that a teacher could actually know what their day is going to look like ahead of time um, to be able to plan for it appropriately as well. So for that to happen, I think we'd need more teachers in schools and we'd need the industry to be a bit more appealing to attract people to actually train and then want to stay. Um, yeah, so there's a lot, a lot to be done, really. I'm going to ask you a controversial question. Okay. <laughs> Do you believe in smaller class sizes? I do. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Look, you're, talk, you're talking to someone who's worked in the alternative education system my whole career. Um, yeah. So I've essentially worked with young people where mainstream school has not worked for them at all. And that's why they end up in our schools. Um, and the, the biggest thing at the centre of all of our schools is small class sizes. And yeah, I honestly think when schools are at their best, it feels more like a family environment um, as opposed to, you know, a big school system. So it's where everyone knows each other really well. And yeah, it just feels a bit like a big family and people can eat together and get to know each other really well on a deep level in their classroom and, you know, have peers and problem solve together and like sort out conflict together as a class group. Um, yeah, and I think those things are only really possible in a small, smaller system, smaller class sizes. What would be your ideal class size? Um, that is a good question too. Or, <laughs> so or student worked... to teacher ratio or however you want to cut yeah. that. I've worked in um, high schools in alternative system and at the moment I'd say the one I'm in, the class sizes are slightly too big. So I'm going to say probably about 12 students would be perfect. I know that that's like idealistic and a dream and so far away from the reality right now. Um, but I think 12 students, one teacher would be an absolute beautiful size to have and I think that that's where um, that community can really form in a nice, beautiful way. Mm. Do you know, I wonder like um, if there's a way that, these kind of things can be done if people think a little bit differently like you know there's lots of savings that could be made on relief teachers and all sorts of things that if if you put the money in up front um who knows it might actually pay for itself so I'm on a little bit of a journey to try and solve that problems I'm not an economist or or an accountant but um I'm going to eventually go to someone who is and see if we can find a solution because I just think that's the answer for me like small class sizes if connection is the answer to our problem smaller class sizes have to be the thing and you know John Hattie can say to the cows come home that it doesn't make a difference to student mm. outcomes but there's more to life than than what's on the page and um yeah there's so much more to it so I just 
that's yeah it's an interesting one and and it's not everyone agrees and I get that but um you know children shouldn't be an efficiency in my mind you know yeah um, yeah I've actually been reflecting on what draws teachers to the work and I think um there's like different ways to look at it and I think for some people especially in high schools they might be driven by the content like they're so passionate about the subject area they chose to teach um and for them they just want to deliver that content but then there's others that are drawn because they're so people-centered and they want to work with young people and they're looking at the whole person and their development. And I think that that's, um, yeah, I've been thinking about that and even just your comment about John Hattie. For me, like I was drawn to the work for the development side of it and really caring about young people and wanting to see, um, you know, change happen and growth. Um, yeah, so I just think that like there'd be some people that'd be like, I don't really mind what my class size is. I just want to deliver my content and I just want to know how many periods I have a day and that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I just find it really fascinating as well, just hearing different people um, respond to that that particular issue about class sizes. I think it's driven mm. from different motivations. Yeah, and maybe maybe there's something in that. Like, let's just go on, a, on one. We'll go off on one now. Let's brainstorm. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I want to be solutions focused. So, like, let's say you had those people who, who just love delivering content. And, you know, like we have that in universities all the time. There's lecturers and they're different to tutors. And there's many, mm. many people in a lecture and fewer people in a tutor group. And, like, I think schools have possibly experimented with that here and there. But maybe there's something sort of to that, like, for the teachers as well, is just being like, well, you've got a really passionate subject expert here. They're really great at delivering. And, and kids will say, if you interview kids, they actually don't say they want smaller class sizes if you talk to them. What they'll tell you is they want a teacher who's passionate about mm-hmm. the content, which I'm always surprised about every single time. But they want to know that that teacher is passionate about the content and that that teacher cares about them. And it doesn't matter to them how many people they're con- competing with or how many other people are there in the room. So... Like I wonder if there's something to that is like letting those people shine in that way um, and do that thing that they're great at because kids love that and then having those spaces for connection with the teachers who love that because not all teachers want that. They're not good at it. They might be uncomfortable with it. They might feel it forced upon them. Um, And putting people where they should be, what do you reckon? Like what's your thoughts on that, Mizzy? Yeah, that's not something I'd thought about too much before, but as you're talking it through, I started thinking about how it could, you know, it could sort of look like if someone is like I'm a subject matter expert and that's why I'm driven to this work and I absolutely adore doing it and I can behaviour manage a huge group because I'm so engaging in the way I teach. Um, you know, like they could have a different structure for their class group, but then you might have the health teacher who's like, I really want to get deeper with the young people and I want to be able to hear all of their voices in a class setting and I want to work, you know, in a more community focused way and that could be a smaller class size like maybe we've just gone like the way we focus on education it's almost like we have a one-size-fits-all approach in mainstream schools especially Mm. Um, but maybe it is about just exploring very different models and different ways to do it even within the one school who knows really yeah yeah because like you're like well we're cookie cutting the kids we're expecting them all to do the same subjects and to behave the same way and whatever else but actually we're cooking cutting the teachers as well and everyone's unique and different and they bring different skills to the table and I'm just curious, like I, I'm just going to throw out a challenge if there's any school leaders of small schools out there who are willing to try this, like what what would it look like if you actually pulled your staff together and asked them what they wanted their ideal job to look like and then made it work? Mm. Like how would that change things? I'd be so curious to see that. And if, if you go off and you pull that off, guys, can you get back to me with an email? I want to know all about it. Um, 
and you know feel free to take all the credit I don't need any credit um but I'd love I'd love to know how that works that's cool um all right so I've got another another question here this is this is the last one on the list of the things that I ask everyone and that is what do you think is the potential for education to heal the planet yeah that's a big question as well (laughs) Mm. um I think education is such a special place to work in because ultimately you are working with young people who are the future generations um so the possibilities of what those young people go forward and do with their lives is endless really um and I think there's some really special things happening with younger generations at the moment where I'm envious sometimes of what they're learning and the skills they're developing that I didn't get to do when I was a student (laughs) like I just think their social emotional literacy is so much higher than our generation's got to have um, I think their understanding of themselves is a lot higher. Like they're very self-aware. Mm. Um, they're, they're learning about the planet and climate change and how they can take action. And um, they've got a lot more confidence to speak up and be advocates. And they've got platforms to use like social media and things like that as well, which obviously can be a blessing and a curse. Um, so I just think, yeah, it's a really special place to work with young people and just to work alongside them and see, you know, what they're going to work on in the future. Um, so, yeah, I think the opportunity is really endless. Um, hopefully not too late to save our planet. <laughs> um, but ultimately, yeah, I think schools are such special places and I think it's, you know, it's a pretty huge, huge opportunity that people have to work alongside young people and just to facilitate, um, you know, their, their journey really and just allow them to explore it and see where, they, where they're headed and what they're going to do in the future. Yeah. I want to ask you something. Um, it's been on my mind a bit lately and and in the circles that I've been working in is this conversation of like, you know, your answer sort of was like the the potential to heal the planet comes through the students. Um, and I feel like sometimes there's a lot of pressure on young people to solve some of the problems that we can't solve or we've created or that our grandparents have created or whatever else. And like what, what are your thoughts on this idea of students being like activists and active citizens and, um, you know, doing that work? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I guess, like, I admire their energy and their confidence to do that, um, but it is actually really unfortunate. Like, I feel like they're doing it because they have no choice Um, because if they don't do something, if they're not loud about it, like, their planet is actually at a point now where if they're not doing anything, um, their future is actually in jeopardy. So it's actually sort of, you know, the generations that came before them that have put them in, in this position where they actually probably feel obliged to be an advocate or an activist or um, so, you know, I feel like there's a lot of pressure on them as well. And they're probably feeling a lot of things we didn't have to feel when we were younger because we were so unaware of the crisis and the damage we were doing to the planet and that the generations before us had done. Whereas right now they've got so much information and it must be a really unsettling time for them too. So I actually feel like it's it shouldn't be on them and it's actually... Yeah. The generations that came before them that need to do the repair and and guide them and allow them to have the future they want and it shouldn't have to be centered around activism and changing things and saving the planet yeah but do you think there's a place for that in education a place for, for activism for, for student act yeah oh absolutely yeah absolutely i think there definitely is but i just don't want them to feel obliged to have to take that path <laughs> yeah yeah so so here's a question then like what's the role of a teacher in this like what are, are teachers activists are they there to heal the planet or are they there to just you know teach kids how to grow up and do their thing be their best uh that's a really good question I like to think that teachers 
um, support young people to be really critical consumers of the information and the world that they're entering. So I feel like that's the teacher's role more than anything. So not necessarily to um, teach them to change the planet or anything like that, but just to give them the skills and the strategies to know how to be critical of what they're hearing and what they're learning and then to make their own informed choices that way, um, mm. if that makes sense, yeah. Wow, it makes total sense. Awesome. Well, did you have anything else you want to share about your great new project? Is it Teacher Well? Yeah. That, Teachers that Well. Yeah. Teachers Well, yeah, um, yeah, that you want to share before we before we head off? Um, oh, look, we're about to go, um, we're about to start sharing our Term 3 offering. So if anyone was thinking about signing up to a wellbeing community, uh, we are about to start sharing the Term 3 information. So I guess if people are interested, we are teacherswell.com. And you can also find us on Instagram under teacherswell. Um, yeah, so we'll be starting to share some information about our Term 3 offering and we'll have a free information uh, meet and greet session in a couple of weeks as well. So that'll be going out pretty soon. Awesome. And that's for Australian teachers, I'm guessing. Do you have anything, like, would, would it be accessible for people outside of Australia? Yeah, it's actually, so far we've had teachers from New Zealand as well. So we actually, um, we've put all the time zones essentially on our offering for Australia and New Zealand. Um, and yeah, so because it runs after hours, I guess it wouldn't be too far-fetched to think people could sign up if it was morning over the sea somewhere and they wanted to sign up. But ultimately we've had Australian teachers and New Zealand teachers so far. Excellent. Thanks. Good for our listeners to know. Um, well, best of luck with your project that you're going to be kicking off. I know you're still in a school for a little while longer, um, but it's so exciting what you're doing. And it's it's really nice to hear that there are people out there doing that good work to help teachers. I know that it's much needed at the moment. So thanks for all that you're doing there. And yeah, I hope it, I hope it goes really well. Thank you. And thanks for joining us on Teacher Healer. No problem. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Megan. Thanks for listening to the Teacher Healer podcast. Find more episodes and information at www.teacherhealer.com. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please rate us or refer us to your friends and colleagues. And if you care about saving the world from plastic, click on the Zero Co link in the show notes to learn what you can do to help. 